Speaking of the fairness of God and his well-founded confidence in it, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. God, he is fair and he is right and he is just. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice. He's a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. You see, for the Christian, there is that hope that every wrong that has ever happened in your life will be made right. Not in this life, but the life to come. That God, at the end of the day, we will be able to stand back and cry out with the angels in heaven, holy and true and righteous are you, God. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. There's much that's unfair in our world today, and often God gets the blame for it. It's a challenging issue for us to answer as Christians, especially since we know God is good, yet what we're going through isn't. Hello, and thanks for joining us today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. As we continue in Romans chapter 9, we'll carefully consider the question, is God really being fair? Here now to hit this issue head on is Pastor Ed Taylor. You know, don't we hate it when things just aren't fair? I hate it. It's one of those times where in my gut, it just, oh, my gut begins to turn because you make all the right decisions, right? You do everything according to the rules. Uh, they tell you what, go right, you go right. They tell you to go left, you go left. They tell you stop here, you stop there. But then there's somebody that says, you know, I don't care about the rules. I'm going to do what I want to do. And they seem to get the prize. And you cry out, you know, that's not fair. That's not right. I mean, I did everything right. I walked just the straight line that God would have me to walk, that my conscience would have me on, and somebody passed me up. Why? Because they cheated. Because they didn't do things the way they should have done it, and they still got rewarded. You know, it was a struggle for one of the psalmists in the Old Testament. As he began to look at the unrighteous, he would look and his eyes were all on people, and he would see people that didn't love God, that didn't know God, but they were blessed. I mean, he would look at him and go, what's going on here, God? This doesn't seem fair to me. It doesn't seem right because all these unbelievers, they hate you, they don't care about you, and they're incredibly blessed. But me, I love you, I serve you, I give my life to you, and it doesn't seem like it's fair because I suffer and I go through things. And then the psalm says, until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, and then I understood therein. I understood that God, He is fair. I'll tell you, there's many times where I'll walk away from a hospital visit from someone in the congregation. As a matter of fact, one of our sisters, Vicki, is in the hospital right now. She was just here last Wednesday night. We were talking about Deuteronomy. We were talking about her the first time she's ever studied through a book of the Bible from beginning to end. And she was so vibrant and she's so full of life. But now she's on close to life support in just a moment. And, you know, I walked away from my visit this weekend. And I'm just thinking, you know, this, this isn't fair, Lord. We all go through feelings like that. It just doesn't seem like it's right. It doesn't seem fair to us. You know, around Paul right now, that's what's going on in their hearts. See, the Jews are listening to this letter in a predominantly Gentile church, and they're coming to the same conclusion. It's not fair, Paul. God doesn't seem fair. How come so many Gentiles are getting saved and so few Jews are getting saved? 
The church began so strong in Jerusalem with Jew after Jew after Jew after Jew getting saved. But then the gospel went from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the known world at the time. And what happened? The Jews rejected their Messiah and the Gentiles, they grasped it. They said, that is what I want. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be right with God. Jot this one down in your notes, if you would, for times when you begin to think that God isn't fair. You know, it's a normal feeling. How careful we need to be not to let our feelings take us past the truth. But it is a real feeling. Every single one of us, if we were to do a survey, would say, you know, I thought God wasn't fair at times. I lost my son. I lost my daughter. I lost my husband. I lost my job. I faced pain. I've been in pain for 30 years of my life. And there are times where those types of situations bring us to the place where you go, no, this is not fair. It's just not right, Lord. But listen, God, he is fair and he is right and he is just. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. Let me read it to you. Just let it soak in. He says, he, speaking of God, is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. He's a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. You see, for the Christian, there is that hope that every wrong that has ever happened in your life will be made right. Not in this life, but the life to come. The God at the end of the day we will be able to stand back and cry out with the angels in heaven, holy and true and righteous are you, God. Faithful are you to me. So with the questions that are in here in Romans in chapter 9, 10, and 11, remember Paul turns his attention to his Jewish brethren and his heart breaks because he wants to see them saved. He'd rather give up his own salvation. He said, I won't even be saved if it meant that the Jews could get saved, but that's not how it works, you know. We don't offer something to God for someone else to get saved. Everyone gets saved the same way. It's by God's wonderful grace through faith and acknowledgement of their need. There's nothing we can offer. We can't buy someone's salvation. We can't come and say, well, I'll just baptize myself in the name of someone else and they'll get saved. You know, I'll just raise them in a godly home. That is what gets them saved. No, no, no. There's only one way to get saved for all of us. By faith in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go to verse 6 now in chapter 9 and walk through some of the answers that Paul offers as he anticipates the arguments that are going to come up about all the Gentiles getting saved and God temporarily setting Israel aside to work among the Gentiles as they're no longer his chosen vessel to bring the good news into the world. He says in verse 6, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. You know, the thought is, wait a minute, if God's promises to Israel are sure and yes and amen, then wait a minute, it doesn't look like that because not a lot of the Jews are getting saved right now. And Paul says, no, no, God's word is in effect. Don't, don't ever question God's word in the sense that it's going to take no effect. It always accomplishes that which it was sent out for. And so he says, no, 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 hey, the word of God, it's not like he's taking no effect because they are not all Israel who are of Israel. You know, if we were to boil that down and bring it to today's application, Paul is simply saying, you know, labels aren't going to save you. Labels aren't going to save you. You can't just say, well, you know, I will, I'm of Israel. I am connected to Abraham. I have a Jewish lineage, so I'm automatically saved. You know what that sounds like today? That sounds like today, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I'm a Christian. Really? But you live like the devil every, you know, hour and a half you say you're a Christian, but the rest of the week you live like a devil. Are you really a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. You know, just saying that you're a Christian doesn't save you. 
Well, no, Ed, you don't wait a minute, man. I'm in this church, and I even stood up in the back, and I prayed with you. But the question is, was that a sincere prayer that God changed you from the inside out? You know, saying a few words that aren't from the heart is not going to save you. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 3, that unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. Listen, folks, you and I, we can't give ourselves new birth. That's a work of God from the inside out. Labels won't say, well, I grew up in a Christian home, Ed. I grew up, and then you can label it whatever denomination. I'm this denomination. I'm this person. I, I, was, I grew up in a Lutheran church. I grew up in a Presbyterian. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Calvary Chapelite. Ed, come on, man. I'm saved. No, no, no. Uh-uh. Labels won't save you. You and I, we need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, acknowledging our own sin before God and accepting the free offer of salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Labels aren't going to save you. Well, I'm, I'm of Israel. And he says, no, no, no. Not everybody that's of Israel is really Israel, he says. That's going to be a shocker to the Jew because their heritage is something that they held on to tightly. Their heritage is something, well, let me show you what it looks like. Matthew chapter 3, flip back. The Jews in that day really believed, as many do today, that just because of their godly heritage, their connection to Abraham, the man of faith, that was all that was necessary to be saved. And here's John the Baptist. You know, he's out in Matthew chapter 3 doing crazy things. You know, John was a crazy guy, man. He ate grasshoppers, you know. He had this crazy clothes. He said crazy things, but he was a servant of God. Listen, guys, don't write anyone off. Don't, don't have in your mind, well, this is the perfect guy that God uses. If the guy eats grasshoppers, it's cool. No problem. God can use a guy like that. You know, that's a delicacy. They dip him in chocolate, and it's like, oh, man. You know, like, that guy doesn't dress right. Okay, so he doesn't dress right. Let me tell, tell me something. For those of you that kind of look at clothes, what does a Christian dress like? Like, what is that? What is that? Like, particular kind of clothes? A nice, I mean, Christians dress all kind of crazy ways, right? What God asks is not the clothes. He says, just be modest. Have a modest look toward people. Make sure you're not stumbling people. But it's not the clothes. It's not the outward. Man looks at the outward. Why do we do that? Because we're knuckleheads at times. Oh, I can speak for myself. Sorry, just for me. I so often get caught up in what's outward, but I really need to be praying, God, what's the heart in that person? You know, what's going on behind the scenes? Isn't it crazy that kids get all these new unique ways of dressing and hair and all that stuff and say, oh, dad, this is, you know, I, I just want to be a part, of, I just want to be different. That's what I want, dad, I want to be different. And so they start dressing like everyone else to be different. I don't get it. <laughs> like, why are you buying that? Well, I just want to be different. Oh, well, how'd you know that's different? Well, because everyone at school is wearing it, dad. What? <laughs> you know, our minds. Matthew chapter 3, you got this guy dressed crazy, eating crazy, talking crazy. And he says in verse 7, Many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these were the religious rulers of the day, they came to his baptism. And he said to them, Hey, I'm glad you guys are here. You want to get baptized? No, man. He says, You brood of vipers. You know what he does? He says, You snakes. He wasn't being nice. They go, No, Ed, somebody called me a snake the other day. They weren't being nice. You snake. You brood of vipers. He's calling them out on the carpet. And he'll show you why in a minute. He says, you brood of vipers, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, verse 8, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And don't think to say to yourselves, here's the key. Don't think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Don't lean on your heritage. Don't lean on your label. Don't lean on your upbringing. Don't lean on the fact that you're connected somehow to some other godly person. Because notice, I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham even from these stones. 
Now, those of you that have been to Israel before or will be going with us in November of next year, you know and you will learn that there is one thing in abundance in Israel. You know what it is? Stones, rocks, pebbles, all over, everywhere, at every turn. And so you can get the picture there right on the Jordan River. He sees thousands and thousands of stones. He says, listen, it's so important that you not lean on your own heritage and your connection somehow to Abraham because, you know, God could raise up thousands of descendants right now from Abraham if he wanted to. It's all about the heart. It's about the heart for them then, and it's about the heart for us now. It's not enough just to say we're a Christian. Back in Romans, now chapter 9, it's not just the label, he says now, as he gives some practical examples of God's dealings with people over the years. In Romans 9, now let's pick up in verse 7, as we see God's word is reliable and it's effective. Verse 7, nor are all they children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. Oh, you go back to Abraham, but what about Isaac? And he's going to walk us through some history here. That is, those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. Hey, listen, Paul says, the word of God's still in effect. I got saved. I'm a Jew. And let's just go back and let's, let's skip Abraham for a second. Let's move on to Isaac. Let's move on to the story that we're given of Isaac. Remember, Abraham and Sarai had two sons. Remember, Isaac was the son of promise, and who was the other son? Ishmael. Ishmael was a work of the flesh. God came to Abram and Sarai in their old age and said, you're going to have a kid, I promise you. And they looked at their bodies. <laughs> they said, hey, 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 we're like beyond childbearing. But God's promise stood. He says, in Isaac... There is going to be a promised child. And so, because the promise didn't happen right away, it's the same thing happens with us. God gives us a promise, and we get impatient. It's like, well, Lord, you promised me 30 seconds ago. Where is it? Nah, where is it? And then day passes. And you'll be okay maybe for a couple days. I'll wait on you, Lord, for a couple days. I mean, if God gave you the promise and then told you, you're not going to wait a couple days. It's going to be 13 years. Huh? 13 years? That's crazy. 13 years? See, if he said you had to wait 13 minutes, yes, 13. Well, maybe not, yes, but you would take it, 13 days, 13 minutes. But 13 years, 14 years, 15 years. And over the time of this promise that came, no child. No child. No child. So finally, Sarai says, you know what? I got a great idea. God's not keeping his promise. Let's help God out a little bit. What do you say, Abram? Sure, honey, whatever you say. Hey, I got Hagar here, my handmaid. Why don't you take her and conceive a child with her? Abram, sure, honey, anything that you say. And Hagar conceives and has a child, not of the promise, but of the flesh. A working out of the schemes of Abram and Sarai, not waiting on the Lord, Ishmael. It's a work of the flesh. You see, because... Well, God would give them a child of promise. You can jot this one down in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham is given instruction to take Isaac up to the mount for sacrifice. It's a test in Abraham's life. When God speaks in Genesis 22, he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, up on the mount. You know why he said his only son? Not because he didn't have two sons, but because he had only one son of promise. God recognized the son of promise, not the works of our flesh. The Bible is very, very clear that our flesh profits nothing. 
Oh, it's not that God didn't love Ishmael or that God didn't take care of Hagar and Ishmael. He did. But he didn't acknowledge him as part of the promise. God recognizes only one son. He refuses to acknowledge the son that was born by their fleshly attempts to help God out. And I think in our own lives, how often have we tried to help God out? Say, God, I got it all figured out. I heard your promise. Now I'm going to figure out how to make it happen. And we help God out. There's many of us, we have little Ishmaels running around in our lives, little works of our flesh that have stuck around. Some of you are still paying the consequences of works of your flesh. Some of you are still dealing with, as God's working it out in your life, that lack of trust and obedience and waiting on the Lord because, you know, we can't wait. We're going to try to, you know, God has given the promise, but now, you know, we can't wait. Well, especially for those of you that like to figure things out, for those of you that like to put things together and look, see, when you begin to wait on the Lord, you need and I need to be very, very careful not to jump in. You know, they surveyed some folks that called themselves born-again Christians not too long ago. And, you know, of those folks that they surveyed, 25% of those that considered themselves born-again Christians, one out of every four, they would say, hey, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? What do you think? They want, uh, 25% said, God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> and so you're out. Maybe somebody will drop that verse on you. Just open your Bible and say, where exactly is that? Well, you know where it is. It's on the lips of a man by the name of Benjamin Franklin. It's not in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. That's been ground into our heads in our culture. Come on, guys, you can do it. Come on, stir it up. Come on, we can do it together. You know, we might be able to do something together, but if it's not led by God, it's of the flesh. We don't want it. We'd rather take the hard road. We'd rather take the more difficult road that's been led by the Spirit than to take some easy shortcut because of our flesh. We'd rather do what's right. We would rather say, this is holy, just, and right. Even if at the end we say, it doesn't seem fair. Believe me, doing what's right is fair. It's honest. It's equitable. How many of us have Ishmael's running around because, well, because we believe that. Oh, I'm going to do it. I'll pick myself up. I'll work hard for you, God. But the Bible teaches the opposite. The Bible says that God often helps those who are helpless, that God shows up to those that have no strength, that God helps those that have no answers, that don't understand what's going on, that are confused, that don't see clearly. He helps those that will just surrender themselves to him. Well, flip over to Proverbs chapter 3, because in these times, you know, this is a verse you want to learn in the affirmative. If, if you haven't memorized this verse yet, if you haven't put this in your heart, please, please do. It's one of the first verses that I ever memorized as a believer, because I'm one of those guys that likes to figure things out. That's how I am. I'll see a problem. I'll say, well, we could do this, 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 this. And, and you know, that's called leaning on your own understanding. That's what that's called. Like, okay, we got a difficulty. Let's all put together a team. Let's put a committee together. Let's figure this out. How about this? Why don't you, we just pray? Hey, Lord, what's going on here? This is crazy. We don't understand it. And for those of you who like to figure things out, maybe those of you that don't like to figure things out, guard yourself. Look at chapter 3, verse 5, because it's our human nature. When things are tough and when we're waiting on him to lean on our own understanding and we're very told very clearly, trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding in what all your ways acknowledge him all your ways all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths it's those times of crisis that we run back to our own understanding well we know this i learned this in school i know how to fix this i fixed it before i totally no no you know you know what you don't know and neither do i 
I'll give you a couple examples. You know, when it comes to biblical counseling, you need to be very, very careful not just to give some kind of answer. Well, I know that. The prescription for that is found right here in this verse, and I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures and call me in the morning. You know, a lot of times people get hurt in the church because everybody thinks they have to fix everybody. You don't need to fix anybody. I don't need to fix you. You're a child of God. So when you come to me, when you come to one of the leaders of the church, you come to one of the pastors in the church, you come to one of the lay leaders, when you come to us, what we really need to do is point you to Jesus Christ. He's your sufficiency. He's going to give you great wisdom. He's going to give you great understanding. Oh, he's going to use his word for sure. But you know, I don't know what's going on in your life. You, you may come to me and you got the biggest, biggest burden you could possibly think. You come into the office and there we are, we're, we're wrestling with it. And you may just leave with me answering, I have no idea what's going on in your life. Let's pray. Let's just pray for clarity and understand. I don't know. But wait a minute, man, you're supposed to know. No, I'm not supposed to know. God will show me. He'll reveal to me, but I'm not supposed to know. But I'll tell you what, God knows exactly what's going on in your life. And if you and I seek him together, he'll reveal for you and to you and through you the answer that you've been looking for. We'll hear more about God's fairness next time when Pastor Ed Taylor returns to Romans here on Abounding Grace. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our apps, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We're consistently hearing from people that are growing by God's abounding grace as they take in and apply the Word of God. Your gifts help to make that possible. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Chuck Smith's book, Faith. Maybe you've wondered, what is faith? Where does it come from? And how does it work? Pastor Chuck explores those questions and many others that relate to the issue of faith in this helpful book. Request it today when you call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Pastor Ed, church is looking a little different these days. Would you tell our listeners how Calvary Church is responding to the crisis and how they can join us online? Sure, Larry. You know, we were very early adopters of taking our services online. Recently, at our 20-year anniversary, I thought it was interesting that one of the brothers came to share a testimony, and he said, you know, Ed has always wanted, Pastor Ed has always wanted to be cutting edge on technology, and he recounted how in the early days of our church, uh, in order to get our studies online, I mean, this was the days of dial-up internet, but I felt it imperative to make our Bible studies available in digital format online. We used the real audio codex back then. Uh, because you could stream it w without downloading it and use it on those dialogues. But at any rate, um, he was recounting how we, we've adopted different technology uh, as fast as we can uh, could in the last 20 years. And we were one of the early adopters of online services, uh, even before the technology was as streamlined as it is today. And I remember getting feedback, real you know, criticism. Oh, if you put it online, then people won't come to church. And if you put it online, then people will this. And, people, and, I, and I, I just said, no, we're fishing. We're fishing in a different stream. We're, it's outreach. It's people get sick and can't come. People are in the hospital. People are in prison. And then over the years, we added uh, FM radio, where through FM radio, we reach places that not even our, our online stream reaches, uh, like in the jail cells or, or in a hospital room. And uh, we, 
we have all these opportunities where you can join us live. And we are, to the best of our ability, keeping our services live, all of our services, again, to keep some regularity in our ministry. So we stream Saturday nights at 6 p.m. This is all Mountain Standard Time. Sunday mornings at 8.45 and 10.45. And we have a Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. All of those are streamed online, uh, right from the sanctuary. And they're also aired live through our Grace FM radio network. And actually, these studies are what get edited for Abounding Grace. Um, So join us. Uh, Go to calvaryco.church. That's calvaryco, stands for Colorado, calvaryco.church. Or download our our free app, and you can stay connected with us through the app, online, Facebook Live, YouTube channel, all of those things. We have Roku, Apple TV, all of it uh, that is available to minister the gospel and just encourage you in a very discouraging time. Again, to watch our services live, go to calvaryco.church. Then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from Romans. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.